If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to finish up chapter 3 this morning and then kind of work our way into chapter 4 as well. We are now uh, halfway through the book of Galatians. After today, we'll be uh, over halfway through this series. And so uh, if you've missed a a week or two this summer on vacation or whatever, let me just uh, catch you up really quickly. Uh, Galatians is a little uh, letter written by the Apostle Paul to these brand new Christians in an area called Galatia, which is located in modern-day Turkey. As Paul writes this letter, um, he's, he's fired up. Paul is worked up as he's writing this letter because these false teachers known as the Judaizers had sort of snuck in. They had sort of infiltrated these new churches that Paul planted. And they really were teaching these new believers that Jesus wasn't enough. And so they would teach them, hey, yet yeah, you do need Jesus. You do need to follow Jesus, but that's not all you need. You also need to follow a bunch of religious rules and regulations if you want to be loved and accepted by God. And so Paul is writing them to remind them of the simple gospel, that we get to God by faith in Jesus plus nothing else. We can't work our way to God. We can't be a good enough person so that one day hopefully God will just accept us based on our own merit. And then last week we saw that the Old Testament law functioned for us as believers uh, as a guardian. And so the Old Testament law is good. We kind of think of, I think oftentimes the Old Testament laws are, are kind of oppressive and they weigh us down and they're a bad thing. But Paul says, no, they're, they're good. They're given to us in grace. Those Old Testament laws, they kind of, they fence us in. They protect us. They serve, as we saw last week, as a mirror that shows us exactly how broken we truly are. But Paul also tells us that that law that serves as a mirror to show us how broken we are and how much fixing we actually need in our hearts and our soul, that same law is powerless to actually heal our brokenness. And so Paul argues that it's only Jesus who can heal and restore uh, at the heart level. And this week what we're going to see is, is Paul sort of plunging us into this incredibly important truth that I think uh, is really, for a lot of us, probably hard to, to really wrap our, our minds around, and that's the Father heart of God. Because the reality is, for some of you, when you think about your father, your dad, you have great memories. And so it's easy for you, thinking back as a child, your dad, to sort of associate those good memories with God as your father. But for others of you, when you think of your father, you don't have pleasant memories. And so it's difficult for you to kind of wrap your head around God being a good God, being a loving God. It's difficult for you to understand this. But in either case... I think it's really important for us to really try to grasp this truth if we really want to understand God's father heart and his love for us as his kids. Let me just say, uh, as an aside for you dads in the room, let me speak to you just just for a moment. Uh, There may not be a more important relationship that your kids have at any point in their lives relative to how they view and understand God than their relationship with you. Let that sink in just, just for a moment. If that's not sobering to you, it should, it should be. In large part, your children will conceptualize God, who he is, what he's like, based on what you show them, based on how you love them and you lead them. So listen to me. You're not just shaping a young child. You are shaping an immortal soul in how they relate to God forever. So dads, take your role seriously as a spiritual leader in your home, as a discipler of your children. A lot hinges on it. That's not part of the message. 
As a side note, that was for free. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26. Let's actually rewind just a little bit to verse 23 so we have a little bit of context for what Paul's going to be saying this morning. Beginning in verse 23, uh, Paul says, Now before faith came, he's talking about Jesus, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Justified not by works, not by religion, not by being a good person, justified by faith. Verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That's where we left off last week. Paul says the Old Testament served us as a guardian. It's good. But now that Jesus has come, we're no longer under that guardian. We're no longer under the weight of those laws. Jesus frees us. He is a fulfillment of all of those laws. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now remember, Paul is writing to these new believers, these Christians in Galatian, these Galatian churches. So when Paul says to them, you are all sons of God through faith, Listen, Paul, Paul is not espousing some form of universalism here, where it's just kind of like the thought in our culture that's really popular is, hey, everybody's just kind of on their own pathway. And as long as you're sincere about what you believe and how you live your life, it really doesn't matter what you do or what you believe, that we're all going to kind of end up at the same place at the end of our lives. We're all going to end up in heaven. That is not what Paul is arguing here. He's saying, he's saying those of you who are in Jesus, you are now sons of God. In other words, you're, you're free. You are no longer slaves. You're not under a guardian anymore. You're not under the weighty system of religious laws and regulations that, listen, you couldn't keep anyway. So now, because of Jesus, you are a son. You are set free. Now, if you are like I was, wondering why Paul is just using the language of son here instead of using the language of children or sons and daughters, um, it's not because Paul was a male chauvinist who just despised women. He, he uses this Greek word that we translate sons because this particular term was a legal word for adoption and inheritance laws. See, it, it's hard for us as Americans in 2018 to even understand how poorly women were treated in the first century culture. Women, for the most part, couldn't own property. In some cultures, their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. In some cases, they were considered, they were looked at, they were perceived as property of men, fathers, husbands. They're, and I kid you not, this is actually, I looked this up, this was a Jewish morning prayer. So this is a prayer that Jewish men would wake up and they literally, they would pray this to God in the morning. The prayer goes like this. I thank you, God, that you have not made me a woman. That, that, literally, that is a Jewish morning prayer. Josephus, that's horrible, isn't it? Josephus, uh, the brilliant first century Jewish historian, this, was, this is what he wrote. He said, woman is inferior to man in every way. Only sons in this culture, usually the oldest son, would get the father's inheritance. And so Paul is saying, and listen, you have, it's hard to understand in our culture, but we, we have to understand how scandalous this was. Paul was essentially saying, listen, in God's economy, in Jesus' kingdom, we are all sons of God with full rights and privileges of inheritance. Men and women, full heirs, children of God, sons and daughters, scandalous. 
Now, by the way, that's one reason why Jesus' ministry was considered so scandalous. He broke down barriers. He loved people that the culture said you shouldn't love, right? He, he would talk to women. He would engage women. We remember the story in the Gospels where he engages this Samaritan woman who was basically a prostitute at the well. And Samaritan women were considered like lower than, than dogs. Jesus had women in his ministry circle. So the, the Jesus movement really in large part kind of flipped the script historically on the mistreatment of women, of embracing women as equals in value, as co-heirs in the kingdom of God. Jesus lived this out. Now Paul is, is teaching this. Verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So he's saying to them, listen, remember, those of you who have followed Jesus, those of you who have believed in Jesus, you are, you are baptized into this faith. We're going to baptize several people next week. You have been baptized into this faith now that you're in Christ. And so there's, he kind of gives us this imagery of, of taking off an old shirt or taking off an old cloak and putting on a new one. He's saying, listen, Christ gives us a new identity. He makes us sons of the living God. Verse 28, he continues in the same pattern of argument. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, listen, Paul is saying everything that you've defined yourself by throughout your entire life, your ethnicity, your nationality, your political allegiances, the teams that you root for, all of that becomes secondary to our new identity in Jesus as sons and daughters of God. Now, you need to understand, that, listen, this is what Paul isn't saying. Paul isn't saying that Christ has done away with all distinctions in humanity, that as Christians, we're just supposed to become some sort of androgynous group of people with no differences at all. I mean, there are clear beautiful distinctions in the Bible. God has created two genders. There are clear, beautiful distinctions between even ethnicities. So Paul's point isn't that Jesus came and he kind of abolished all these beautiful distinctions in the creative order. He's saying, look, my point is that we all have equal access now to God through Jesus. Every race, Jew, Gentile, every gender, male, female, the rich and the poor alike. In Jesus, we're all one people. We're one family. In fact, we see in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, that at the end of this age, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping Jesus. See, those distinctions aren't gone, even in the new heavens and the new earth. Those distinctions are celebrated. But in Christ, we are all one. There's no superiority. We're all sons and daughters washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are chosen sons and daughters forever. But Paul is very clear. It is only those who place their faith in Jesus who become sons and daughters of God. As we said last week, Jesus is the pathway to God. Jesus is not a pathway to God. Jesus is the pathway to God. If it seems to you as we work through this book that Paul is kind of repeating concepts throughout this letter, that's because he is. I mean, if you listen, if you got kids or you got grandkids, you know what I'm talking about. Can you tell your kids something one time and just let it go and have, have them do it and obey it perfectly? 
Maybe your kids, not my kids. I got to tell my kids again and again and again, every single day, so that a certain concept begins to kind of take root in their hearts. That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying again and again, listen, you're broken. You're broken. The Old Testament law showed you, showed you, showed me, showed us how broken we are. But listen, it is powerless to fix what is broken inside of you. Only Jesus can fix that. The Jesus plus nothing gospel can heal you. He is the pathway. You can be a son. You can become a daughter of the living God, but it's in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's funny, this, uh, this past week, I was um, at, the, at the gym and I was just, I typically listen to random like Pandora stations as I, as I work out. And um, a song that I had never heard came on and the lyrics just really grabbed me because of how they related to what Paul is talking about in this letter. And so I actually, I stopped and I went, I looked up the lyrics to this song and I looked up the band and uh, it's just a, you know, secular band from California, never heard them. I, I don't think that there's any sort of like spiritual connection or I don't think that they're Christians or anything like that. But I just want you to listen to the biblical concepts of brokenness, of loneliness, of needing to be fixed, needing a savior in, in the words of just this secular song from a band from California. So part of the song goes like this. I like that you're broken. You're broken like me. Maybe that makes me a fool. I like that you're lonely, lonely like me. I could be lonely with you. Life is not a love song that we like. We're all broken pieces floating by. Life is not a love song we can try to fix our broken pieces one at a time. Do you hear that? In, in our pop culture, in the arts, this, this truth that we all innately know deep down that we're, we're broken, it just bleeds out, just seeps into our music and seeps into our, our movies and our art and just cries out, we are broken. There's, so, there's something wrong. Things are not as they should be. And we need somebody to fix what is broken. We need somebody to fix what is broken inside of us. And God is standing there the whole time and he's like, I know. That's why I sent Jesus. I've come to buy you back, to restore the broken places in your life, to make you my son, to make you my daughter. See, God was answering our deepest questions and fears thousands of years before we would even ask them. Thousands of years before we would even draw our first breath. This is an incredible truth. Paul continues on in verse 29. He says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so Paul drops one more scandalous statement to kind of close out the chapter. And he goes, listen, Abraham's true offspring, the real heirs to the promise that God made to Abraham are those in Christ. These false teachers are telling you that if you, if you want to follow God, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, that you have to become a Jew first. And he said, that's a lie. I'm telling you that if you are in Jesus, you are actually already the spiritual family of Abraham. I remember as a kid, we used to sing this uh, silly song. I think my mom would sing it to us, or I remember maybe in Sunday school, but I just remember this silly song. Some of you know it. Uh, Father Abraham, remember that song? Had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord, right? Well, you know, so that, that was, that was, that was kind of, that was kind of the song. And I promise that's the extent of the, the singing I will ever do up here. I will not subject you to any more. Uh, but it, like, that, that song just seems like a super silly kid song. But there's so much spiritual truth there. God's children are those who by faith trust in Jesus. And Paul is just going to unpack this scandalous concept for us really for the rest of the book, but especially in chapter four. So let's dive into chapter four, beginning in verse one. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul goes, listen, when a child is young, even the child of a a king, when young, he has... He has authority over him. He has people over him, people that say, listen, you can do this, you can't do that. That kid, even though he's technically the heir, he's technically the owner of everything in that kingdom, he's not much different than a slave is as a young kid. It's kind of like my three kids. Uh, One day, my three kids will own everything that I have. All that I have is, is theirs. Now, are they in charge of it now? Heavens no. They are in charge of it. Now, why? Because they would wreck us financially. Right? They would sell our house and our cars so they could buy Legos and go to Disney World and stuff like that. Like, there's no way that they're ready at ages 6, 8, and 10 to be in charge of it, right? Now, listen, it's all theirs. One day they will experience it fully, but for now they are under authority. And so when Paul says, listen, you were enslaved, we were enslaved, to the elementary principles of this world, Paul is saying, at least in one sense, that before Jesus, we were restricted and we were bound to things that could not save us. We were bound to things that couldn't save us. Right? These, uh, these new Galatian Christians, they were being tempted to trust in the elementary principles of the Old Testament law. So they were trying to be really religious people. They were trying to be really good people so that one day maybe God would accept them. Some of you maybe even still are enslaved to that idea. You think that you're going to get to God by being a a good little boy or a good little girl, by following all the rules and regulations and being a really religious person or doing more good things than you do bad in your life. And Paul is saying, no, no. Now, some of you maybe are enslaved to the elementary principle of just trying to live life your own way. You just do what you want. You're like... You're like an adult toddler. You just kind of like, you just stomp around through life saying, mine, 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 right? And you just, you throw tantrums when you don't get what you want, when you want it, how you want it. Don't look at your spouse. I'm talking to you, right? (laughs) Some of us are just adult toddlers. We're just chasing after whatever whim or passion kind of floats around in our day, day by day. Whatever the case Paul is saying very clearly, and this is kind of our first big idea, write this down, outside of Jesus, you are a slave. Outside of Jesus, you are a slave. You may be a slave to religion. You may be a slave to the whims of whatever passion grabs you in the moment. You may be a a slave to to success or power or acceptance or one of 10,000 other things that we can be enslaved by. But outside of Jesus, you are not a son, you are not a daughter, you are a slave. It doesn't matter how free you think you are, it doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are, you are a slave. 
And I think for many of us, we kind of, we just grew up with this weird sort of twisted idea, this thought that, man, following Jesus is, is like a form of slavery. So at least for me, in my mind, when I was kind of coming up, teen years, early 20s, in my mind, freedom was being free from everything. In my mind, freedom was being free from everything, including Jesus. And Paul is saying, listen, that's not freedom. That's not freedom. See, if you're not careful, your pursuit of freedom can actually run you right into slavery. I came across this uh, quote from Dr. Tim Keller this week. I think he nails it. This is what Keller says. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but the presence of the right restrictions. Real freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's the presence of the right restrictions. I found this uh, cartoon this week. I want to go ahead and throw that up there. Now, I don't know if you can see it, but this cartoon is a, it's a fish, and, and he's, he's in this fish bowl, and there's a, there's a cat hiding underneath the table. And the cat has put a hammer inside the fish bowl with a note that says, you can use this to escape, signed a secret friend. <laughs> now that fish, listen, that fish is free as long as, it is re, as long as it's restrained to that water. But as soon as that fish buys the lie that that freedom, is, that real freedom is found outside the water, if it tries to find its freedom by flopping around outside the water, what's going to happen to it? It's going to die. It's going to suffocate. And listen, I think a lot of you guys out there are suffocating. You're searching for freedom in all the wrong places. Let me give you an example from from my personal life, and maybe this is more of a confession. Some of you probably can relate to this, but I don't like this about myself, but it's just true. Um, I hate to eat healthy food. I, I hate healthy food. And moreover, I hate to exercise. So it's like a double whammy. Um, why, why, why God created a universe where broccoli is good for you and donuts are bad for you, that is a mystery uh, that is yet to be unlocked. I don't get it. Uh, why we live in a universe where it's good for you to torture yourself for 45 minutes on a treadmill, but it's bad for you to sit on the couch for three hours and watch Braveheart, that's a tragedy. We live in a broken, fallen world. The, the, the hope that we all have is that when Jesus returns, donuts will be good for you and broccoli will be bad for you. That's, that's just, that's in the Bible somewhere. But until then, just don't look for it. But until then, because I hate to eat healthy and I hate to exercise. Listen, what would happen if I just said, listen, for me, true freedom is just doing whatever I want whenever I feel like doing it. And so I'm just, man, I'm just gonna sit around on my couch all day long. I'm never gonna exercise. I'm gonna eat nothing but Bacon, cheeseburgers, and donuts all day long. How's that going to go for me? It's going to be awesome for like a week, right? It's going to be awesome for like a week, maybe two weeks. And then all of a sudden, this is going to go really, really poorly for me, right? A year from now, I'm going to weigh 500 pounds. I'm going to be confined to a bed, not being able to play with my kids or travel or hike or do any of the things that I love. So is never exercising and eat, eating whatever I want, whenever I want, is that really freedom? It's not freedom, friend. That's slavery. What I thought was freedom actually led me into slavery. In the same way, if I just kind of pursue sexuality without any restriction at all, it won't be long before I'm a slave to that as well. If I just buy anything I want, even if I can't afford it, just put it on the credit card, am I free? 
No, I'm a, I'm a slave to debt. That debt will eventually crush me financially. So here's the second big idea Paul gives us. It's this. True freedom, true freedom is saying no so we can say yes to something greater. That's real freedom. Real freedom is not saying yes to everything. That's slavery. True freedom is saying no to a lot of things so that we can say yes to the very best of things. Freedom is aligning ourselves with the right restrictions, as Dr. Keller would say. So let me just ask you a question. Are you pursuing, are you chasing after things in your life right now that you think are freeing, you think are life-giving, but they're actually in the end going to enslave you? Some of you right now, you're thinking, man, I'm free. I'm free. I just do whatever I want, whenever I do it, whatever feels good, I'm just going to do it. And Paul would say to you this morning, you're not free, you're a slave. You're a slave, man. You got, you got shackles hanging off of your, your wrist and you can't even see them because you're too busy chasing the wrong things. Paul finishes up this portion of his letter with, I think, one of the more incredible truths uh, in the entire New Testament, beginning in verse four. Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul is saying, listen, listen, God, God didn't just get tired of dealing, us, dealing with us one day in heaven. He's just exasperated. He's like, hey, man, I'm so sick of this. Jesus, Holy Spirit, when do y'all want to go down there and give this a go? That's not what happened. God sent Jesus at just the right moment in history, right? We don't have time to go through all this, but when Jesus came, the Pax Romana was in effect. So there was this extended period of, of peace that allowed movements to grow really quickly. There was a common language for the first time since the Tower of Babel, uh, Greek, so people could communicate across uh, national lines. There was a Roman road system in place that extended all across the known world at the time. So, the, so for the first time in history, information could travel really incredibly quickly. All of those things aligned perfectly for the first time in history. And at precisely that time, the fullness of time is what Paul would say, God sent Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem rebels and slaves like us and to adopt us and make us sons and daughters of the living God. That is an incredible truth. In biblical times, uh, slaves had to be purchased to be set free. And so Paul is saying here, listen, Jesus paid to set you free. Now that's good news, isn't it? I mean, that's really good news, but that's not even the, the best news. Paul is saying here, he, he didn't just purchase your freedom, he also made you sons and daughters of the God of this universe. He made you, he made you co-heirs with Jesus, adopted into the family of God. So for those who felt inferior, the poor, the marginalized, the Gentiles, women, people with, with messy past, God goes, listen, I want you as my daughter. I want you as my son. You're a slave, but I'm going to buy you back. I've told you guys this story before, but my sister and brother-in-law, they, they adopted one of my nieces a couple of years ago. 
little uh, Ava Grace. And uh, when they adopted Ava, when they uh, signed those adoption papers, the judge declared that she was their child. They were in essence saying to Ava, you belong to us now. We're giving you our last name. You have all the rights and privileges of our biological children. You are our daughter now. You are fully loved. You are fully accepted into our family now and forever. Believer, God loves you like that. God loves you like he loves Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. In John 17, Jesus is praying this prayer for his disciples, the disciples that were with him at the time. He was also praying for his disciples who would come in centuries later. He's praying for us in this prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus says that God has loved us. God has loved his disciples as he loves Jesus. Now, I gotta be honest with you. That is a concept that I really struggle with. I'm 38 years old. I've been following Jesus for 18 years now. I'm just now starting to wrap my head around this concept. It's easy, it's easy for me to understand God's forgiveness. Like I, I get that I've been forgiven because of Jesus' finished work on the cross in the empty tomb. But listen, this idea that God loves me, that he really loves me as a son, he loves me like he loves Jesus, that I'm an adopted son forever with the privileges of a son, that's hard for me because I know I don't deserve it. It's really hard for me to just wrap my head around that. So the thought that I think I've had for most of my, my, my Christian walk has been just kind of like this thought of, God, just let me be like a servant in your kingdom. Like, God, just let me, let me come in and, and live on the fringes. But don't call me a son. I can't be your son. I don't deserve that. Can't handle that type of love. That's too overwhelming for me. It messes with my head. It messes with my heart. And God looks at that and he says, you're my son. You're my son. Call me dad. Call me Abba. Call me, call me daddy. Believer, write this down. You are not just forgiven. You are adopted. Not just forgiven. That's not the whole gospel. That's an incredible truth, but a lot of us stop there. You are not just forgiven. You are not just justified. You are loved deeply by the creator of this universe who makes you a son and a daughter. You're a son, you're a daughter. And when you begin to root your identity in sonship, in daughtership, it changes everything. And here's why. Your identity motivates your activity. How you see yourself, how you view yourself, it affects everything. It affects how you view life. It affects how you interact with people. It affects what you value. Your identity affects how you invest your time and your talents. So listen to me. To be what God wants you to be, you have to learn how to embrace your identity as an adopted son or daughter of the creator of this universe. One last thing that we need to see here and then we'll be done. Let's go back to verse 6. I don't want you to miss this. Paul says, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying Abba, which means daddy, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, 
the power to live as sons and daughters, to live as free heirs instead of orphaned slaves, that comes from the Holy Spirit. We only get the Holy Spirit when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. We surrender our lives to him. And then the Holy Spirit empowers intimacy between us and the Father. Look, your kid, unless your kid is really weird, isn't going to come up to me and ask me to buy them a brand new bike. But my kid will. Why? Because they're my kid. They know me. They, they trust my love for them. There's this level of intimacy that I have with my kids. So the question has been, how do you live with that type of intimacy with God? Like a child with their daddy. And Paul says it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. As he confirms in us God's father heart, his love for us as his sons, as his daughters. So here's the last truth and then we're done. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live as chosen sons and daughters. Believer, follower of Jesus, I want you to hear me say this. You have the same spirit living inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. If you don't believe me, go read Romans 8.11. So I would just say this to you, believer. Stop living like an orphan. Stop living like a slave. You can have intimacy with the God, with God of this universe, through Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. As we close, I want to invite you just to bow your heads for a moment as the band comes. I want to tell you this story. This is... Most of you are familiar with this story, but this is to me one of the most incredible stories in, in the Gospels. But there's a story of a son. And this son decides that he wants his inheritance from his father. And so he goes to his father and he says, Dad, I want you to go ahead and give me my inheritance. And you've got to understand that in that culture, that was essentially saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I'm spitting in your face, I'm no longer your son. Go ahead and give me what's mine and I'm going to move on. And the scriptures tell us that that son left and he went to a foreign country and he, he blew the entire inheritance. Scholars believe he just blew it partying, yeah, alcohol, drugs, prostitutes, whatever it is. And he finds himself broke. He's in this foreign place and there's a famine and the guy is hungry. And he finds himself working on a pig farm. And nobody will give him anything to eat. And it's one day he's watching these pigs just eat this pig slop. And he's desperate to eat some of the pig slop, but he can't because nobody will give him anything. So he has this epiphany and he says, man, I could go back to my father's house and even the servants are treated well there. Even the servants eat well there. So I'm going to go back. I know I don't deserve to be a son, but I'm going to go back and I'm just going to beg my father to forgive me. And I know he's not going to let me be his son again, but I'm just going to beg him to let me be his servant. And so he makes the long trip back to his, his hometown, his home country. And as he's coming up the road, his father spots him a long way off. And his father pulls up his robe and he begins to sprint to his son. His son who had betrayed him. Son who had said, in essence, you're dead to me. Son who has spit in his face. And he sprints to his son. And he gets to his son and he embraces him and he hugs him. And the Bible says he gave him a kiss. And the son starts saying, I don't deserve to be your son. I just want to be your, your servant. And the father just ignores him completely. And he calls his servants and he says, get me the best robe in the house. 
Give me a gold ring. Get some, get some sandals for his feet. And I want you to go and fill the, kill the fattened calf because we're going to have a party. Because my son was dead and now he's alive. My son was lost and now he's been found. And some of you are like, are like, like little orphans living in a foreign land and you're feasting on pig slop when God is offering you sonship and the riches of his kingdom. And he stands with arms wide open, ready to embrace you. But listen, you've got to come home, friend. You have to come home. You have to walk out of the shackles of slavery before you can experience the freedom of being a son and a daughter of the king. Listen to me, that can happen today. That can happen right now in this moment. You just surrender your life to Jesus. Say, I'm done. I'm done with the big slop. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to experience everything that God has for me. Let me pray for us. Father, for those of us here who know you, for those of us who are already adopted, we're chosen sons and daughters, God. But for some of us, God, we're still choosing to live like orphans, like slaves. God, would you help us to understand that in Jesus, we're not just forgiven, we're heirs. We're adopted into your kingdom. We are loved sons, loved daughters. And so, Father, would you help us begin to root our identity in that truth? Help us to begin to live as, as free sons, as free daughters. And, Father, for the, for the one here who maybe is still a slave, for the one here who is really still an orphan, just feasting on slop, never realizing that there's something so much better out there for them. God, would you show them what they can have through Jesus? God, would you give them the strength? Would you give them the boldness just to walk away from the shackles of what they think is freedom and show them real freedom, true freedom through Jesus? Father, would you help them to do that today? God, give them the strength, give them the boldness to come and talk to somebody before they leave. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the other prayer counselors that will be up here at the front, God. Would you, by the power of your spirit, set them free and adopt them as sons and daughters today? And Father, we ask, we pray for all of these things in the name of the one who conquers and the name of the one who sets us free. In the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. Church, let's stand and worship the Christ.